Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the place of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, they did not enter the palace, because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify the truth. Everyone on earth, everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered and said to them, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us ba Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and the officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have the power either to set you free or to crucify you? Jesus answered, 
You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat him on the judge's seat at a palace known as the Stone Pavement, which is in Aramaic, is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. This is the hour when darkness reigns. That was how Jesus described the events that we've just read about. The only word I can think of to describe them is chilling. Absolutely and utterly chilling. What we've just heard is humanity's darkest moment. This was the hour when human sin was given its fullest and most terrible expression. When all of our hypocrisy and anger and cowardice and rebellion and hatred of God was expressed in an act of supreme injustice, the condemnation of the Son of God. The innocent is condemned to die through the ugliest and most unjust coalition in human history. First of all, there are the Jewish leaders who say in verse 15, take him away, take him away, crucify him. These are the ones who have been absolutely intent on getting rid of him on getting rid of this man who challenged their comfortable, well-managed religion, who challenged their proud hearts, and who was drawing their followers over to him. Verse 31 is very telling, where Pilate says, why don't you take him yourselves and judge him by your own law? What's their response? Oh, but we don't have, have the right to execute anyone. That's their objection. In other words, we want him naked publicly shamed and humiliated and executed in such a way that tells everyone he is both an enemy of the peace and cursed by God. See, that that last bit, the curse of God, comes from the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 21 says, anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. So crucifixion would be particularly helpful to their aim of both killing and discrediting Jesus. When I said earlier that it's humans rather than God who are directly responsible for so much evil in the world, some people will have been thinking, but hey, what about religion? What about religion? Isn't lots of evil done in the name of God? Well, yes, it is. But only by false understandings of God hidden behind a religious veneer. Here in one of history's greatest ironies, religion got so twisted that it became totally hostile to God. Here we see darkness reigning through religion. The religious leaders are the ones who especially want God dead. Their understanding of him had become so distorted through pride and hard-heartedness that they didn't even recognize him when he came. And they hated the one they claimed to represent. And in in, um, chapter 18, verse 28, we see the heights of the hypocrisy of religion. Did you see it there? They were so desperate to avoid ceremonial uncleanness so they could eat the Passover, that special religious meal. So desperate to be squeaky clean religious. But at the same time, they were conspiring to kill the Son of God. 
the very person the whole the Passover is all about. Darkness reigned through religion. Second, darkness reigned through the secular powers. The secular powers. So three times, Pilate says, I find no basis for a charge against him. I find no basis for a charge against him. I find no basis for a charge against him. But in the end, he caves to political pressure. Truth gives way to politics. And he hands Jesus over to be crucified. In fact, did you know that there's actually a deep significance to many of the numbers in the Bible? And uh, there is actually a prophetic meaning to these three declarations of innocence. In Hebrew, if you wanted to say something in the superlative or its perfect form, you would say it three times. That's why in Isaiah, God is praised with the language, holy, holy, holy. It's saying he is perfect in holiness. There's significance to Peter's threefold denial of Jesus. Peter claimed to be such a man of faith. But he denied him three, Jesus three times. He was a total failure. And that's why Pilate's three declarations of innocence symbolized Jesus' total and perfect innocence. This was a perfectly innocent man condemned to die. But Pilate, for Pilate, protecting his own interests and security was more important than truth in the end. And so darkness reigned through him too. Thirdly, it reigned through the soldiers the soldiers. In chapter 19, verse 1, they flog him brutally. In verse 2, they mock him. In verse 3, they slap him in the face. God comes into the world and he's slapped in the face. Darkness reigned through human sin. The religious proclaim him worthy of death. The powerful proclaim him expendable, a necessary sacrifice in the messy world of ambition and politics. And the ignorant proclaim him a joke and worthy of a beating. Darkness reigned. And you might ask, well, maybe the world today would be different. Would it? Would the world today be any different? Well, in some ways, yes, we don't currently have the death penalty in this country, so his sentence might have been different. But the condemnation that preceded the sentence would have been the same. See, when you think about it, the modern world has no more room for Jesus and his claims than the ancient world did. How do we know that? Well, supremely because of what he says in chapter 18, verse 37. Just have a look at it. Chapter 18, verse 37. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Those are Jesus' words. Imagine how today's post-truth society would receive that. I don't care who you think you are. How dare you claim to have a monopoly on the truth? How dare you say that your way is the right way? How dare you judge me? You can just hear it, can't you? And remember, earlier in John's Gospel, Jesus went even further when he said, I am the truth. In other words, all truth centers and hinges upon me. I have the final say on it. I am the truth. Well, if you persistently claim that in today's society, they might well bring back the death penalty. Yes, Jesus' claims are as offensive now as they ever were, and he makes them as boldly now as he did then. So yes, our culture would similarly condemn him expressing outrage just as vehemently as it does to all other claims about absolute truth. In fact, more so, because Jesus claimed so much more than anyone does today. Darkness reigned, and the same darkness still reigns because the human heart is still ultimately the same. Chapter 19, verses 14 and 15 show us the terrifying truth of the human heart in its natural state. God appears... Here is your king. Humanity responds, take him away. 
Take him away. Crucify him. It was mankind's darkest moment, but it was also God's moment. It was also God's moment. John chapter 1 verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness. And in this moment of greatest darkness, the light of the world shone as brightly as he ever did. Because in this very moment, Jesus showed just how much he was prepared to suffer to save the world. To suffer the betrayal, the misrepresentation, the injustice, the abuse, the condemnation, the torture, the crucifixion. He took it all. He went to it willingly and he suffered it willingly. As he said elsewhere, he could have called upon a legion of angels to save him in that moment. But he didn't. In that darkest moment of history, the light of God's love and his willingness to suffer for the sake of others shone as brightly as it ever did. Many commentators have noted that in um, chapter 19, verse 5, Pilate spoke better than he knew when he said of Jesus, Here is the man. Or as the older translations put it, Behold the man. Because Jesus is, of course, God's new and true definition of manhood. This is man. This is man as he was meant to be. Not man in his fallen, corrupt, self-absorbed state. But man as God always intended. Perfect in love. Sacrificing himself rather than others. For their gain rather than his. When darkness reigned, the light shone in the darkness. Real love shone in the darkness. Real man was revealed in the darkness. This is our God and his light still shines in the darkness.